0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Something Rhymes with Purple with me, Susie Dent, and my co-host, Jazz Brandreth, And we get together every week, really, don't we, jazz Just to, well, to say hello, because I haven't actually seen you in person for quite a while now. Uh, I will now in, in our live shows coming up quite soon. But also just to discuss our absolute favourite subject, which, of course, is words and language, with our fantastic followers, the Purple People.
1: But you're in my head all the time you may not be. Is that a in... bad thing? No, it's a good It's a good thing. Well, I've got into the habit of waking up at about four in the morning. Mm. It's so annoying. Between four and five in the morning, I, I wake up and I'm awake for about an hour. And I've decided instead of lying there worrying, I'm going to think about you. Uh, so I have a kind of conversation with you. Uh, and last night I came up with this riddle, which I thought, I would trout on you. This is, I, I say last night, early this riddles. morning. And this is the question. This is for you, Susie Dent. What were three nouns, two verbs and an adjective doing in court? Three <laughs> Um
0: Three nouns. Is, is the, are the numbers relevant?
1: No. What were okay. three nouns, two verbs and an adjective doing in court? This is what I'm thinking about at two in the morning. I'm thinking, how can I amuse Discussing Susie? Discussing their with sentence? This. They're waiting to be sentenced. Yes. <laughs> well done. And I'll give you, I, I mean, I lay there. I've got two more. Uh, and, okay. then, and Then we can move on to what we're supposed to be talking about. Perfect. What is small, red and whispers because it's got a sore throat? I lay there in bed thinking, Oh, God, I'm going to ask this to Susie later. What's small, red and whispers because it's got a sore throat?
0: Uh, I was thinking tonsils. I don't know.
1: A horse radish.
0: Oh, Yay. I like that one.
1: Because uh, it's a radish, it's small and red, and it's also it's whispering. And, and the last one, uh, uh, this is relevant to what we're going to chat about today, uh, and that's why I think I thought of it. Um, what do you call a cat caught in the chemists?
0: Cat caught <laughs> in
1: the chemists. This uh, only work for people who know a big chain of, of chemists' shops.
0: Oh, Puss in Boots. Boom, boom. <laughs> Very good. So that's
1: what I do. I, I lie in bed tossing and turning and thinking, well, I've got, I'll try and think of some silly riddles to give to Susie. Do you ever have a sleepless night?
0: Yes, I do. I can't remember a night really when I haven't woken up several times, but I am quite lucky. I do tend to go straight back to sleep. So I'm hoping that I'm just coming out of a sleep cycle and then going back in. But what you suffer from, do you remember the word from it for it from old English, which is <sighs> Oh no, I don't. How do you spell that? i can write that down. Um, U-H-T, as in milk. Yeah. And then C E A R U.
1: C E A R U.
0: And it's essentially the sorrow before dawn. Utkaru. Um, it well, it's, it's
1: not so much sorrow as it is anxiety, though. It's yes. anxiety before dawn. Yes, it's care. Uh, yeah. Happily, though, we do allow our cat, Nala, to share the bedroom with us. Oh, do you? No wonder yeah, do you don't, don't sleep. Well,. She is very, very good. She, she's got a chair that she sleeps on uh,
0: okay.
1: um, normally, but she does sometimes jump up onto the bed but I find her quite soothing and quite companionable. She doesn't
0: sit on your head like my cat. Uh,
1: she does. She sits on my wife's head. She, yes. What is interesting, she actually, she is my wife's cat. Well, okay. she's the neighbour's cat, as you know. But she, <laughs> yes. uh, she's linked um, to, to my wife and she does sit. And I think it's because she wants, It's my wife says, this is just cupboard love. She's just wanting a sort
0: of yes. midnight feast. It's very true. But why do they sit on a, on a head? I don't really understand this. So either that or you feel like you're having, you know, the word nightmare goes back to not a horse that's a mare, but the sort of evil spirit called a mare that was said to come and sit on your chest and almost make you feel like you were suffocating. That was the nightmare. And that's how Bo, my cat, makes me feel if she sits on my chest. just like I wake up and I can't breathe. Your
1: cat is called Bo not as, as in Bo Brummel, B-E-A-U, no. but as in Bo Peep.
0: She's a she, and... And yes, we didn't give her the name Bo Peep and it seemed quite sweet because my kids were a lot lot younger when we got her from Battersea. Battersea is a cat and dog rescue centre, which has been going for many, many years. Brilliant. In London, they have lots of stations elsewhere in Britain as well. And uh, we got her from there when she was a tiny kitten and they called her Bo Peep because she was the scaredy cat, the real scaredy cat. So she was just very, very shy and would peep out from under a chair to see whether it was safe to come out. That's so they called her Bo Peep. So we've kept her. We don't. We don't ever call her Peep. We just call her Bo.
1: I wonder what the origin of Bo Peep is. I mean, it's a nursery rhyme character, isn't it? It Bo is. Peep.
0: Yes, Bo Peep. I don't quite know why she was called Bo though. Little Bo maybe, Peep has got.
1: Maybe, maybe it's to do with boo saying boo.
0: Yes, Bo, maybe. Boo. It, does your cat have a breed? She's a moggy. Oh. She's an absolute moggy and uh, a small. I think they just said small domestic breed. She's got the most. Beautiful eyes, I have to say. I would love to have those eyes. They're just absolutely gorgeous. And uh, we'll get on to the etymology of Moggy later, actually. But I should just say... So it's very interesting. When you look at dog breeds, there's always a story to them. So we've talked about them before, that the poodle goes back to the German poodlehund, a splash hound because they love water. A terrier loves digging up the earth and it goes back to terra, meaning earth in Latin uh, and terre in French. So quite often dog breeds have really lovely etymologies. Cats not so much, unfortunately. They tend to be named mostly after places so the Bengal, the Abyssinian, the Persian, the Siamese, etc. So, we thought we wouldn't focus on those today because most of them are, as I say, fairly self-explanatory.
1: Though, I have to tell you, I'm sorry we're not focusing on them because I've done a lot of research.
0: Oh, and I, well so not matter. us. No,
1: no, what I'll share with you, what I will share with you, and maybe we'll come back to this another day, is I have a son-in-law who's a vet. Oh, yes. And I said to him, What are the most popular breeds of cat in the UK? And he said he reckoned the most popular breeds in the UK are probably first the British Shorthair, then the Bengal, believe it or not, then the Siamese, and then in fourth place, the Maine Coon, which is what our cat. Nala is, is ah, a main Coon. Ah, okay. Then Persian, then a kind of breed that I hadn't really heard of called a ragdoll.
0: Yes, ragdoll. I, Rachel Riley used to have a ragdoll one as well. The ragdolls, I think, were so named because they're incredibly docile. So they have an unusually docile temperament as though they're just a doll that just sort of hangs there uh, in your arms. So I think that's where it comes from originally. So not recorded until 1970s, the ragdoll.
1: Well, take us into the world of cats. Where are we going to begin? Where do you want to begin?
0: Well, we could start with the word cat itself, if you like. Please. Because you will find catus, C-A-T-T-U-S, in Latin and in some Roman text. But it's generally thought to be an Egyptian word because it's in Egypt that cats were first domesticated. But it's a little bit like dog. We've got a slightly clearer view of its journey. But if you remember dog, and we often mention this, one of the most mysterious etymologies, given its everyday use in English, we just don't know where dog came from. And it's not too dissimilar for for cat, because what the Romans normally called a cat was philes, F-E-L-E-S. And that meant she who bears young.
1: Oh, I thought it meant faithful or happy. No, Felix. But that's philes. Or Fides, ah. and Felix
0: is happy, and Fides is faithful. faithful.
1: Yes. So that's why dogs are called Fido, as in faithful, Yes. and cats are called Felix, or have been, happy. as in happy. But that yes. doesn't relate to feline.
0: No, so the feline, as I say, does go back to Latin, and feline doesn't appear in English until the late 17th century. And most modern European languages have words that are linked to the Feline, that, that Roman word. And it's interesting, um, this, I was reading this in the dictionary actually, that feline is generally linked with positive words, isn't it? She has feline eyes, for example, or feline grace. Whereas catty is something mm. you definitely don't want to be. That is just spiteful, resentful and, you know, not nice at all. So it's interesting that they've gone in, in two different ways when it comes to context.
1: Well, uh, I suppose the origin of catty is because certain cats when they're fighting, fight in a quite unpleasant way. Oh, gosh, and the noise. the, The screeching. How long has the word catty been around? Would Jane Austen have known the word catty? 19th century. Oh, so she might have known.
0: Yes, possibly. And then, I mean, cat features in so many colourful English expressions, so we can talk about those. But I did say I would mention the etymology of moggy. Please. And moggy being a non-pedigree cat. So Bo is, um, as I say, a short hair moggy. And it's simply a variety of Maggie, which in turn, of course, goes back to Margaret. Now, if you remember we have always loved choosing people's names particularly when it comes to animals and birds robin redbreast for example and if you remember the magpie was also named after margaret it was maggoty pie originally nothing oh. to do with uh, maggots and everything to do with maggo which was another nickname for margaret so we simply attached that to mog and moggy it's nothing to do with mongrel which is a non pedigree dog um, because that's based on mingles. It's a sibling of mingles, but of course, a mongrel is a mixed breed.
1: Mm. Very good. I think we've touched on this before. Pussy. It's mm. in puss, 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 pussy cat. Why yeah. is a cat a pussy?
0: Well, it's probably imitating the hissing sound. So, if you're oh. trying to get a cat's attention, you might go pss, pss pss pss, or the noise of the cat hissing itself might sound a bit like pss pss, pss. So it's a similar sound that you will find in the sort of nickname for a cat in so many different languages across the world. It's quite interesting, that sort of replication of the... But it was also used as a term of endearment for a girl or a woman and then childishly to anything soft and furry, which obviously is where the the slang sense crept in. And to play pussy in World War II RAF slang was to take advantage of cloud cover. So to jump from cloud to cloud, either to chase uh, an enemy aircraft or to avoid being recognised yourself. So, yeah, that's the sort of the, the pussy thing. As I say, term of endearment. But as so many terms of endearment have been, they are often applied to female genitals.
1: Yes. Uh, there's a terrible joke, which I don't think I dare tell you, but it involves somebody who is making his last wish. It, this is a really dreadful joke. Anyway, okay. the, the, no, I won't even tell you. I'll just give you the payoff line. Oh. Uh, the, the, he's, he's, been, he's been captured and he's been strung up and he's been he's been told he can have one last wish. And this uh, beautiful creature turns up and uh, he says, no, 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 you said the wrong thing. I said posse, posse. <laughs> anyway, that's by the by. He was looking for a rescue posse and not for
0: what they
1: said.
0: Just while we're on the pudenda, I should just say that there is one rival theory, which goes, you know, it, it's either the soft and furry thing, but it could also be from an old Norse word, some linguists think "puss" meaning a pocket or a pouch. Um, And if you remember, while we're on this subject, vagina goes back to a word meaning a sheath, again, or a pocket, and it's actually linked to a vanilla because um, vanilla has a pod. So vanilla and vagina are rather strange kissing cousins. I'm not, I'm not sure kissing cuss <laughs> is the right word for it, but. This you know, is fantastic.
1: <laughs> you just, I mean, I'm, you know, here we are stroking our pussies and we suddenly find ourselves with vanilla ice cream in yes. our pods. Oh, it's exactly. too silly for words, isn't it? We have. Uh, what
0: about a tomcat? Should yeah. we move why, on to Why is tomcat? a tomcat
1: called a tomcat, not a bill cat or a, a yeah. Bencat? cat? Or Who
0: a, knows? I mean, Tom famously used a bit like Jack. I mean, I think Jack is probably the most often the most frequently used name when it comes to identifying objects in English. Tom, probably somewhere on the list, high up. Just a generic name from the 18th century, but there was in 1760 an anonymous work called The Life and Adventures of a Cat. And the hero was a male cat that was called Tom and was commonly called in the story Tom the Cat. So it may have been popularised by that.
1: Meow. Uh, I know how to spell it. I think M-E-O-W. That's the noise traditionally made by a cat. You'll find writers saying the cat meowed. Do yeah. they actually ever make that noise? Who invented that word? How long has it been in in print? Meow is a word.
0: Um, that's a really good question, actually, because I don't have the first date, so I'm going to look it up now. I do know that... It's almost the same in every different language. Um, Meow in French, M-I-A-O-U, and then it's M-I-A-O, I I think, in German. And then in Japanese, it's Nya, which is quite similar. I think Nya is possibly a bit closer to meow. 1632, according to the OED, to make a characteristic cry of a cat. And they do have in, in French as well, at least they did have miaule, M-I-A-U-L-E-R, which was to meow. Yeah, I think it's quite a good approximation of the sound, but it will never be exact, will it? I mean, do you think cows really go moo? I mean, they go, mmm, but I'm not sure they go moo.
1: Meow. Maybe we should have a party in 2032. I mean, next year we're going to be celebrating the 400th anniversary of Shakespeare's first folio. Yes. Maybe you and I should organise a great cat gathering, the biggest meow in the history of the world, for the 400th anniversary of the word meow. Get millions, get millions
0: of cats. You couldn't get Um, cats together because they just don't like each other, do they? I was having this conversation about hamster with my youngest because she wanted to get another hamster and hamsters famously just kill each other to to well, yeah. the, the fight to the death. So I don't know if it would be very similar with cats. I'm not sure you'd want them all in the same room, not least because they would give out lots of caterwauling,
1: yes.
0: which is a horrible sound. And it's reminded me actually of a great word in German for a hangover, which is a katzenjammer, which again is a kind of caterwauling because the sounds in your head when you've got a hangover just are like a the din of cats collectively clamouring at each other.
1: You know what we used to do with our children when the hamsters died because we had hamsters as well, and they were always dying and fighting with each other, exactly as you said. We eventually put them in the blender, in the mullinex, and spread the residue on the flower beds with the most fantastic results. You won't believe it. You probably heard, you may wonder why, but you will have heard the song. There's a song about it, Uh, you know, because you know you get tulips from hamster jam.
0: I knew this was (laughs) going somewhere I hoped it was going somewhere funny because I just thought, how could you ever use your blender again?
1: Uh, and it wasn't yeah, going anywhere funny. It was going somewhere awful. From hamster jam. A dreadful, dreadful pun. Anyway, um, you mentioned the it, my idea of getting millions of cats together. People use the phrase like herding cats. Lo- yes. Cats have come into lots of phrases in the language. I assume like herding cats is simply because it's so difficult to herd a cat.
0: Yes, absolutely. And there's a very popular belief that this began with a script from The Life of Brian, the wonderful Mm. Monty Python film. And it does seem like it was used there. And if you look in the Oxford English Dictionary, it will give you 1986 for its first record of trying to Herd or be like trying to herd cats, in other words, an impossible task. And The Life of Brian was in the 1970s, wasn't it? 1976. So it's very possible that it did popularise or even give us that phrase, like herding cats. But yes, it's an impossibility. So I think definitely we will not be having having a meow fest. Not sure I'm going for that one, Giles. But there's so many expressions, aren't there? cat, Cat got your tongue? Yes, cat got your tongue. Now, there was well i mentioned ancient egypt and in ancient egypt cats were considered to be very very sacred so one of the ideas was if the cat got your tongue it literally your tongue would be kind of taken out if you had if you had sort of transgressed either against a cat or against society and so you would you know you basically have your tongue whipped out which i think was quite a common punishment but i think the dates in english i'm just checking this in the oed 1911, I was so angry at her that I made no answer. This is from a novel. Presently, she said, "'Has a cat got your tongue?' It says here in many colloquial and proverbial expressions of obvious meaning, but it's not at all obvious, I think, where that one comes from. So who knows? May go back to ancient Egyptian mythology. may simply be to do with the cat of nine tails, which certainly Mm. is behind the no room to swing a cat. Now, the cat of nine tails was a really, if you remember, pernicious instrument of torture aboard ships and sailors who had um, broken the rules would often have what would be beaten and flogged using the cat of nine tails.
1: And why is it called a cat of nine tails?
0: I think because it had lots of sort of lashes that were attached to it, probably nine of them, I'm guessing, that when you swung them around, you know, particularly if they had sort of horrible studs attached to them, they could really perform something nice.
1: But why is it called a cat?
0: Yeah. Um, Oh, here we go. Probably the name was one of grim humor in reference to its scratching the back. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, so Ooh, it's that like claws like marks,
1: like cat's scratch cats
0: marks. Yeah, Ooh. Ooh. it's a bit grim, isn't it?
1: It's very grim. And how does that relate to swinging? No room to swing a cat.
0: Well, no room to swing a cat is you literally, this is, is a whip with nine knotted lashes. You'd need quite a good swing room for that.
1: Oh. Oh, so it's not actually picking up your cat by the tail and swinging it around.
0: Well, there are theories that that is behind it as well, because I'm um, not going to detail here, because it really is too distressing, but they used to do absolutely awful things with animals for entertainment. So it's not beyond the realms of possibility. Oh,
1: dear. And I letting know. the cat out of the bag, is that something horrific as well?
0: Yes, now we have done this one before, I think, when we talked about buying a pig in a poke and we also talked about letting the cat out of the bag. So buying a pig in a poke was the scam, if you remember, where you thought you were buying a little piglet, which you could then grow for pork, breed for pork, and it would be in a poke, which is an old name for a pocket or a a posh, a bag. And the idea is that you pay your money, you get home, you open the poke or the pocket and out pops a cat, which was not considered to be valuable at all. So you let the cat out of the bag and the secret is out. Very good. Yeah.
1: Any more? A Cat in a Hot Tin Roof? I mean, that's the title of a play, I know. Is that yes. the origin of the phrase? No. No. Well, the play was named after the phrase.
0: Yes. I think it's just It's to a be Tennessee really-
1: Williams play, yeah.
0: Yeah, to be really agitated. So obviously, if you imagine a cat on a hot tin roof, it's going to be lifting its paws up and down because it's too hot to stand. So that's the idea is you're just unable to keep still. You're like a cat on a hot tin roof or on hot bricks is the other version, isn't it? And then you've got more than one way to skin a cat, which again, sounds really grim. Happily, I'm not sure this is to do with literally skinning cats because the OED thinks it begins in the 17th century with a completely different phrase, which is to skin a flint. Now, to skin a flint was all about greed, essentially. So a flint is a piece of hard stone used to make sparks. And there is no skin, of course. And so the idea is that if you're even trying to whittle away at that, then you are very, very mean indeed, because you're not prepared to spend any money. As a skin Um, flint. Like a skin flint, exactly. That's where we get that from. And apparently, to skin a flint was one of many phrases about skinning things that were all about either stinginess or the willingness to go to extreme lengths. So there were lots of them, I think, and definitely not just cats. I'm just trying to think if I can I can give you skin a louse, skin a flea, and finally to skin a cat. But it underwent a bit of a change there as well, because it was, you'd say, oh, he's someone who would skin a cat, again, meaning that he's very greedy, not greedy, but very stingy. But then it sort of changed to the expression that we know today, there is more than one way to skin a cat, meaning there's more than one way of achieving your aim. Why do cats
1: have nine lives?
0: Well, I mentioned that cats being worshipped in ancient Egypt, they were highly revered, they were praised for being magical. And that's probably why they were thought to have nine lives, because they had some sort of special supernatural power that enabled them to evade danger. And lots and lots of, of different traditions really revolving around cats. So, farmers would often leave offerings for cats to ensure a good harvest. The Chinese apparently still believe, I, I don't know, we might have some purple people in China or who are Chinese, that believe cats protect their crops, presumably from being eaten by rats and mice. But again, they're good omens. We talk about a black cat crossing our path as being very lucky. So, lots and lots of different associations with luck and with charm. And so, you know, perhaps they did have magical powers that would enable them to escape more often than other animals. And then you have to also remember that the number nine, particularly in Greek mythology, has also got magical significance. It starts with the nine muses, the goddesses in Greek mythology who, you know, inspired musicians and dancers and authors. So nine, a special number, certainly, in mythology and tradition.
1: One of my favourite poems about cats is Gus the Theatre Cat by T.S. Eliot. Oh, yeah. It's one of his collection in Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats. And a, a film was made of the famous Andrew Lloyd Webber musical Cats yeah. uh, that was deemed to be very unsuccessful and people mocked the film. I went and saw it and I really enjoyed it. And in the film, uh, Sir Ian McKellen performs Gus the Theatre Cat. And it is ten minutes of bravura theatricality. I just recommend people, you don't need to enjoy the rest of the film, just go to see Ian McKellen being Gus the theatre cat.
0: Oh, and it's got your friend Judy Dench in it as well, hasn't it? I have to say, I've not seen it.
1: Well, a lot of people haven't seen it. She, Judy Dench, uh, indeed hasn't seen it. And I said oh. to her, you should go to see this film. A, you're amusing in it, and B, uh, your friend, Ian McKellen, is brilliant in it. But she said she doesn't like going to see the films that she is in. Oh, I totally
0: yeah, well, agree Where she feels awkward
1: that. looking at herself. And also she says it's so frustrating because you think, oh, I could have done that differently. I could have done that better. She prefers being on stage where she knows, well, there will be another night. I can perhaps do it better tomorrow. Yeah. Whereas on film, it's there. Speaking yeah. of, of being on stage, because I was, my, my last stage partner was indeed Dame Judi Dench. I was at the Gielgud Theatre this summer with the great Dame Judi Dench and I may be, back with her in the theatre again. Oh. But having warmed up with Judy Dench, I'm yeah. now sharing the stage <laughs> with none other than Susie Dent. I know, I can't we- wait for this. When is this? We're we're soon. It's quite soon, isn't it? End of September we're starting again.
0: End of September. And we're taking Something Right With Purple back on stage. So we will be recording a podcast. Each show will be very different. There will be extra bits, so not just the podcast. And we'd love to meet as many Purple people as possible because we always say this, don't we, Giles, that you and I have been really touched, actually, by the reception of the podcast and how, how much people, particularly during the pandemic, sort of turned to it and many other podcasts. I'm sure as well just for a, just for some escape really and some calm.
1: We're not exaggerating. I have to say no. We're, every time we've been very moved in the wings. Yeah chatting to each other, and then we we meet people either in the interval or after the show or before the show. So it's a chance to say hello to purple people in person. And we're doing a whole series in London at the Fortune Theatre, which is a beautiful little theatre in the heart of Covent Garden, yeah. just opposite the Theatre Royal Covent Garden. And I will find it very difficult to resist telling some of my uh, theatre stories there. And when we're in Oxford, at the Oxford Playhouse on the 9th of October, I will find it impossible not to tell some of my stories about the great Sir John Gielgud and no. Ronnie Barker and a whole host of other oh. people that I first met at the Oxford Playhouse.
0: I was thinking of Ronnie Barker just last night because I was at a recording of the comedy countdown ah. version, Eight Out of Ten Cats was Countdown, eating some really delicious food that was made by a canteen, a mobile canteen called Four Candles, oh. which, of course, is comes from a very, very famous to Ronnie sketch. And uh, it just made me laugh, Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to hear those stories.
1: Good. Well, if people want tickets, we've now, they can just go to something rhymes with purple. all that, yep. all one word, dot .com. com. and you can get tickets for those shows and we want to see you there. Should we exactly. take a quick
0: break? Let's take a break and then we'll get back to correspondence.
1: Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Who's been in touch this week, Susie?
0: Well, our first email, and I have to say it's one of many for which, um, yeah, we are really, again, very appreciative. And we do read all of them, even if we can't quite get to all of them on the podcast. But this is from Daniel Sturman.
1: Dear Susie and Giles, a recent U.S. Supreme Court opinion used the term mare's nest to refer to something undesirably tangled or complicated. A legal podcast that I listened to was fascinated by that phrase and took a side journey to discuss its origins. Since I know that one of the hosts of that podcast listens to your podcast, I think she would be tickled pink to hear from an expert in the field. What is the history of the term "mare's Nest? And how has it changed over the years? Thanks for a wonderful podcast. Daniel Sturman, Jerusalem, Israel. Thank you, Daniel. Um thing. Mayor's Nest, I know. I know the phrase, and I know I think what it means, something very complicated. Uh, yeah. Full of, fraught with, with complexity. But I've no idea what the origin is.
0: Yes. So that's how we tend to use it these days for a confused mess or a muddle or a misconception. But actually it started off meaning something very, very different. Because if you had spied a mare's nest in the 16th century, you imagined that you'd discovered something really wonderful, but in fact it didn't exist. So it was a kind of an illusion, but especially one that you boasted about and then looked very foolish because of it. So obviously horses can't produce nests, and there was an earlier version to horse nest, meaning exactly the same thing, something that is too good to be true and you look a bit foolish for believing in it. And it wasn't until almost three centuries later that it came to mean, because a nest, I suppose, we associate with things that are just sort of full of miscellaneous bits and bobs, Uh, we we came to confuse it with um, a muddle or associate it with a muddle or a confused mess.
1: Lucy Dakin has been in touch
0: Dear Susie and Giles, I have recently discovered your podcast and have rapidly become somewhat addicted. A Brit who lives in Brisbane, Australia, I listen mostly whilst walking our dog. I have a question about the word cute. My 12-year-old daughter uses this word very frequently, mostly when talking about our dog, and I wondered about the origin. I noticed the word used in the novel Mill on the Floss, written as cute, with an apostrophe. I wondered if it was related to the word acute. Best wishes, Lucy Dakin. How interesting. Well, the answer is yes, it is. Oh. She's absolutely right. And it's not, uh, really, this is not a couple that you would put together. And it's a sort of process that's called a thesis, A-P-H-E-S-I-S, which is the kind of gradual unintentional loss of a of a short vowel at the beginning of a word. So if you think of... Squire for esquire, for example, Mm. that's an example of a thesis. And so it is with cute and acute. The first meaning of cute was acute, to be clever, to be keen-witted and sharp, to have a cute mind, if you like. That was in the 18th century. And then a century later, particularly in schoolboy slang, it was used of things that were attractive or pretty or charming because, of course, quick-wittedness is a positive attribute. And you can see the same journey, sorry to use that word, with cunning as well, because cunning obviously has the the meaning of being skillful and crafty, sometimes a bit sly with it. But because all of these were seen as being quite clever and positive in US slang, to be cunning was to be quaintly interesting or to be pretty and attractive, to be quite cute and you find you find it also morphed into canny as well that's all from the same root so yeah language often does this but as i say if you think about the sort of traditional meaning of acute you would never put it together with acute i think but that is definitely its derivation
1: and that word again, a faeces, for when there's a, a missing bit of the... A thesis.
0: Yes, it's when a short unaccented, unaccented vowel sort of drops off the beginning of a word.
1: Ah, so it wouldn't be the same as, if, for example, until. People sometimes say till, meaning until. Oh, till yeah. we meet again, until we meet again. What, yes, is that, is that that's more you're of an re-
0: abbreviation, really. Fine. Yes, it's more to do with, with very short vowels.
1: Very good. And yeah. I learned something interesting the other day. I've been misspelling uh, violin cello all my life. I knew that cello... I thought the cello was short for violin cello. It turns yeah. out it's short for violon cello. So it's oh. Um But that again is an abbreviation, not an emphasis. No,
0: that's a diminutive, isn't it? Of violone, yeah. the little violone, violon, violon, violoncello. Yes, violoncello. I wish I could speak. Italian uh, yeah, um, I
1: wish you and you make it sound as if it's going to be a lovely pasta dish we're going to do tonight can, can <laughs> we, does, can we meet it? together let's have a, a little violoncello, viol- yes. violoncello with a little or maybe a wine a lovely yes. oh slightly green wine mm. on a sun-kissed hill in do Lombardy
0: not, do you not miss that that's I miss conversation the conversation for another day. You missed the, miss the, the idea
1: etiquette. I miss yeah. the idea of, but I don't miss the reality of it. No. And I don't mind never falling asleep in front of the television.
0: No, I'm with if, you on that
1: one. If people have got letters they want to send, uh, queries they'd like answered, the address is simply purple at somethingelse.com. So do please be in touch with us. Susie, do we know how many words there are in the world? You come up with a trio, three new words every week is it oh. a bottomless pit how many words in the english language are there overall do you think
0: oh it's an impossible question really because i think we've talked about this before because how do you sort of describe a word so if you took for example run do you include runs ran running yeah. so it is a bottomless pit from that point of view but if you look at a at sort of dictionaries you will find usually about half a million headwords if you like so that's kind of where, but you know, a lot of those would be obsolete. And it says that the second edition of the 20-volume OED contains full entries for just over 171,000. But honestly, there are far more than that. I mean, you know, you, you might have one million distinct words if you do count all of those inflections and things.
1: Good. A million words of which mm. you seem to know every single None. one. None. <laughs> and you know all I of know them.
0: some of them. I don't know all of them. You know I absolutely words. don't. I knew I'd honestly learn a different word every single day.
1: Well, you're going to teach us three words now and let's see if we can remember them in a week's time. Okay. What are the three words?
0: I think they're just sort of quite i don't know if they're quite useful but they're just quite quaint. So the first one is um particularly in hot weather if you find yourself changing your shirt quite often and just sort of you want to just say look do you know what i've just run out of shirts you can call yourself lack linen. I'm a bit <laughs> like lack linen. Shakespeare used it oh. um wanting shirt lack linen. Oh, I just I quite like that. that one. It's just a bit silly. Also, you will have heard of a rake hell. So a rake hell is somebody who's so dissolute that they would literally sort of rake the floor of hell for whatever they could get. And oh. I just discovered that there's an adjective for someone who is a bit wild, hence the town red, which is rake helly. <laughs> I just like the idea of being so rake helly.
1: Is that They're pretty dissolute,
0: are they? Someone's Very dissolute,
1: Ray Kelly. Very yes. Very dissolute.
0: Very dissolute indeed.
1: In uh, um, excess of the violoncello and you went up, <laughs> Ray Kelly. Okay.
0: Ray Kelly. The third one is sluggardise. So a sluggard is somebody who is... Lazy. Lazy, exactly. But to sluggardise is, is uh, rarer and that's a verb meaning to make lazy. So I just like the idea of saying, you know, too much scrolling through Instagram can sluggardise you no end because oh. it does. It just induces that kind of torpor, doesn't it? Where you just literally can't be bothered to do anything. So I quite like that word.
1: I don't want to get into a sluggardizing state. No. But no, that's why I've got to avoid the life of a rake hell. A rake hell. Because you lose your shirt that way. And yes. you end up black linen. Very good. I love sluggardise. Well, nice. we've been talking about cats and I've already recommended one poem by T.S. Eliot, Gus the Theatre Cat, too long to read here. Hmm. But I have got another one. My favourite cat poem, I think this is, it's a lovely poem by Eleanor Fargen, who lived, oh, from the 1880s to the 1960s and wrote some wonderful children's stories and some beautiful poetry, of which this is perhaps my favourite. It's called Cats Sleep Anywhere. Cats sleep anywhere. Any table, any chair. Top of piano, window, ledge, In the middle, on the edge, open drawer, empty shoe, anybody's lap will do. Fitted in a cardboard box, in the cupboard, with your frocks, anywhere. They don't care. Cats sleep anywhere.
0: So they do, including on my head.
1: They do, don't they? They're marvellous. We love Nala. We love
0: Bo. We We do.
1: We, we just love, and, and we especially. we love the purple people so much that for the summer we've got this amazing twenty percent off offer on our merchandise. All the stock in our online store. You just go to the link in the episode description, and we've got t-shirts, mugs, totes available while stocks
0: last. Absolutely. And thank you for listening to the show. And if you do love it, please keep following us. Please recommend us to your friends. And if you would like to follow us on our new social media channels, you can find us on at Something Rhymes on Twitter and Facebook or at Something Rhymes with on Instagram. And do consider joining the Purple Plus Club if you would like for some bonus episodes on words and language. Thank you for listening. Something Rhymes With Purple this is a Something Else production produced by Lawrence Bassett and Harriet Wells with additional production from Chris Skinner, Jen Mystery, Jay Beal, Josh and...
1: Oh, the sluggerizer himself.
0: Oh my goodness, it's gully.